believe that in the 21st century, the topic of periods remains a taboo. My name is Leah, and in this podcast, I interview different people from different walks of life and different stories, and we talk about periods, because it is time to normalize the conversation around our blood. This is I Bleed. Having suffered herself from endometriosis and having gone through IVF and realizing that she was never given any proper information about her cycle, Saskia decided to set out and teach young kids about periods. She quickly realized that she couldn't teach anything before untangling all the myth and misconceptions these kids have around periods, where periods are seen as something dirty and something to be hidden. Her initial idea was to create a pamphlet where relationship and sex education was debunked and talked about with facts. But she soon realized she needed to write a book to include all the essentials that kids need to know about periods. And this is how this period in my life came to life. In this episode, we talk about her personal journey which led to the birth of her book, This Period in My Life. I had endometriosis um, back in 2012, um, and that led to me, you know, having full-blown infertility. It caused me to not be able to conceive naturally at all. I had it really badly and suffered, I realize now I suffered for years. and I was, I was very lucky to be able to go through IVF successfully. And looking back, I realized that I myself had very poor education around menstrual health. And so perhaps also being the mother of three girls, I have a sort of really personal incentive to really try and change this na- narrative that we have that pain is normal because pain actually isn't normal. And I'm trying to, and I hope I've done it in the book, you know, really illustrate where that line is between normal menstrual discomfort and where pain is and when to get support. So that's from a very personal point of view, I was led to to try and, and educate on that level from a personal place. And then the second point is that I teach a lot in schools and I spend my time teaching young people. Um, and actually, no, I can't teach because I spend all my time addressing misconceptions. And there's a generation of young people who have had no education in this area. And so they are completely tangled up in all kinds of myths that really all lead back to the big one, which is that periods are dirty and something to be hidden. And so in order for me to teach, I need to do a lot of untangling first with these young people. And I used to come away from these sessions, Leah, feeling very, very depressed because I thought, where, you know, where are these young people going with, with this information? Um, and so I thought I would design a sort of period leaflet for schools I was supported by a a head that was um, very proactive in his approach to anything relationship and sex education related. And and then the leaflet just 
took on a mind of its own and became a sort of 15 chapter book. <laughs> right. I realized it was just too much information um, to put, put into a leaflet. But I really wanted something that was young people friendly. Um, you know, I know myself, I don't cope well with paragraphs and pages full of text. I know that I need visual, you know, images, photos, um, diagrams to, to really lighten the, the, what is quite a heavy scientific fact, but also practical information. And again, Instagram is an amazing tool. Um, so I managed to find, I think it's 31 different artists I have in the book that have donated images. So each chapter is illustrated by a different artist that's what I sort of call a menstrual activist, if you like. Wow. Um, um, and then just some science in there, you know, a picture of the vulva, I just find young people don't know about their own bodies. And obviously when I teach, you know, they are fascinated to know that, um, you know, blood and urine is not coming out of the same hole, you know, and on a very simple level, I just think if we, if we can understand our bodies better, um, then we'll understand what the menstrual cycle is. But with young people, we need to really start on those basic facts. Um, you, know, you know what I find shocking, like somehow, because I, I, it's shocking for me that in the 21st century, with access to all this information, that young people still don't have that knowledge, you know? And it's, you know, when I started this documentary, like, the, I got a lot of women saying, like, you know, like, your topic of menstruation is so passe, like, it's, it's not a taboo. But then the more I interviewed people, the more I thought, no, actually, it is a taboo. And then... Yeah. I think a book like this and like the focus on education for me it was like I realized like how important it is education how we forget that like it's not about having the best product or the best tampon or the best whatever or the best pill but it's really yeah. about as you said understanding our body so I just like I'm I'm like you know it's I, I'm still shocked when I hear it that like you yeah, know? but I think, you know, generations of, of women and people who menstruate who've had to just hide it and manage all aspects of difficult periods in secret. Um, and I think that there's a very, very hard stigma that is really hard to shift. And I, I, I see many similarities with the stigma around infertility um, and and the only way that we can get through that is by having people discussing their own personal experience. Um, I think with young people that there, there is so much shame around periods and the last thing they want is for anyone to know that they're bleeding. Um, and so there is a lot of baggage to sort of sieve through, you know, and, and trying to reframe the conversation um, and see periods for what they are, which is perfectly natural, a sign of fertility, you know, health. It's a, it's a, a tool, in, you know, an inner compass. It's so many wonderful things, which I now see, but I'm 41 years old. Um, and I think with the younger generation, you know, my daughter's eight, my eldest, and I see the way she's learned about periods through me at home. She doesn't see that, that taboo, that stigma, 
And so she will, you know, at some points through osmosis, through other people, start to see, well, actually there is some negativity here. But I think with this very young generation, we can reframe the conversation. Right. You know, we can put it in a positive light. And, but there is a generation of young people who've missed out on any kind of relationship and sex education. And that includes menstrual health because it, it hasn't been taught in, in, in the UK. It's, it's only now compulsory and young people will have two hours over a year on menstruation oh. from age, from age 10. Um, but two hours, is still not really enough in my view, which is why I try and involve parents as much as possible. And which is also why I, I wrote the book, because I think, you know, if we're having between four and 500 periods in our lifetime, it, it deserves some attention. <laughs> it deserves some, Definitely. some attention. Yeah. And, and tell me, so you started, you first started by doing like being a teacher in sex ed and menstruation, or you added, you just by doing sex ed, you decided to add menstruation and then there, and from there on, you started thinking about writing the book. Yeah, so it, 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 I was a primary school teacher initially for 12 years. And then my, um, when I was trying to have my second daughter through IVF, uh, we had many failed rounds and it just took its toll on me. So I, I gave up work um, and I managed to have my second daughter. And it was, it was when I was pregnant with her that I started really digging quite deep internally about, you know, why I'd reached this point, why I'd suffered so many years without getting any help. Um, you know, I, I'm educated, I have a loving family, but yet I didn't have this information. Um, and so I really had a sort of, again, a personal motivation to retrain more specifically, not just education generally, but I wanted to really be specific. So I, so I retrained as a relationship and sex educator, um, which is sort of all aspects of, you know, friendship, families, uh, values, sexual health, um, healthy and unhealthy relationships, consent, lots of really big topics. Um, and menstrual health is, is part of that, that curriculum. And, I found through working in one academy locally that girls, specifically girls, were wanting information on, on periods. I, I taught a, a, a curriculum lesson on periods and I just found I, I couldn't just stop <laughs> after the hour. And so I offered them a free drop-in session after school and they became weekly sessions. Um, and then I had boys come fascinated, fascinated by the whole subject. Um, and, and then I started to offer the drop-ins to other local schools. And yeah, it just, there was a, there was a demand. So I, I supplied, <laughs> I supplied if you like. Right. Wow. Mm. And then, yeah. and then, and then it's, and then the idea of writing the book came along, right? From the experience. But did yeah. you, did you know that you had endometriosis or was it something like, did it take a long time to get diagnosed? Because I, I was told by one day I interviewed that it took her like almost 12 to 14 years to get a proper diagnosis. Yeah. So by the time I went to the gynecologist, I was 
I realize now I'd had all the symptoms, um, you know, intermittent bleeding, uh, absolute agonizing, excruciating pain, um, you know, pain after intercourse, um, pain even sometimes just sits going from standing to sitting. I mean, I, I was really in a bad way when I got uh, an appointment, he, he, without even doing anything, he said, you've got, you've definitely got endometriosis. And the only way we can treat you is by doing a laparoscopy, um, which is when they um, basically investigate and, and have a look on your ovaries and your tubes. If your lining has been growing outside of your womb, which is what it is, um, and my fallopian tubes were completely infected uh, with lining, with tissue that had grown there. And it was spreading to my ovaries where I had huge blood clots. I mean, it was an absolute mess in there. So I had to have my tubes completely removed. Um, and since I've had that done... I haven't taken any painkillers, any period remedies whatsoever. So that alone explains the, the sort of agony that I was experiencing. Um, and the IVF, going for IVF, because I was quite young at the time, I was 32. So I was quite a good candidate for IVF because I was quite young and my ovarian reserve, I had quite a lot of eggs. Right. So that in theory, it, it, I was a good candidate for IVF, but they wanted me to, you know, to remove my tubes because the tubes were, you know, the infection would have spread to my womb and I wouldn't have been able to carry uh, potentially a child there. Um, but, you know, deciding to have my tubes removed at the time was a pretty big deal because then you're saying goodbye permanently to any chance of natural conception um and then there's you know a lot of you know uh, eastern medicine that claims they can unblock tubes you're not quite sure what to believe um but then you've got you know western medicine saying that 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 you need you, you know it's good riddance to the tubes you need you need to say goodbye to them because they're causing you so much pain they're not serving you any purpose. And so I, yeah, made the difficult, but the right decision to have my, both my tubes removed. Right. Um, so I was then completely reliant on IVF working. Um, and I, and I, I knew I wanted to be a mother. I mean, I've, it's something that was just uh, never, I, I never questioned that. Um, and so I, I, yeah, we started IVF straight away. It worked the first time and then it failed four times. And then we had a frozen cycle and, you know, long story short, seven year period. I, I, I'm blessed now with three girls. Um, so I'm, um, you know, I, I'm very lucky that I started early. Um, so I, I, had, I had the eggs, I had the womb. I just didn't have the transport. Um, so in terms of infertility, there's so much stigma with regard to sometimes not knowing why you can't get pregnant. And I think that can be such a destructive thing is not knowing. And then there's a lot of blame between couples. Whereas with me, knowing it was the tubes and then getting rid of the tubes meant that I could then really kind of grieve that chapter 
and then move on and focus on the IVF, basically. I've digressed massively, Leah, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's very interesting, but because I, I think it also stems back to the idea that like having the knowledge somehow helped you make the right decision, right? Yes, like, And that's why knowledge, even in the work that you're doing, the book that you, you, you've written, is so important for girls to have the, that knowledge, to know maybe at the age of 22 that if they have painful periods, that it is not normal to have painful periods, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a book that I read um, when I was starting to think about having children, um, a book that I read by a lady called Emma Cannon, which was called The Baby Making Bible. And in there, she said that periods shouldn't be painful. And that was what made me realize that I was highly, highly medicated for a week every month, you know, taking so many painkillers and really unable to work for at least two days a month. Um, the first two days of my periods were, I, you know, I was pretty delirious. And I, and I yeah, I, I feel, I feel um, that I've had to use that frustration and that anger that I felt about that period in, that period in my life um to put it into something useful um and so i think there needs to be much more clarity on what is normal period pain what is the impacts of hormones you know how we can help our bodies to transition between the different phases of the cycle um and there are so many amazing natural remedies as well um and then trying to get away from this idea that, you know, getting support or medical support is, you know, is shameful or a sign of weakness. Um, and there needs to be more, this is sort of my next uh, thought that I, I'm thinking about a lot these days is just more access to gynecology, gynecologists, easier, you know, resources, easier to find resources when it comes to that. Um, more female gynecologists, you know, and really trying to open up the the narrative around, you know, smear tests and checks and, you know, checking yourself, um, right. you know, breast awareness. I just think this should be part of, um, you know, part of what is taught in schools should be much more about that. You know, I'm I'm a bit biased because I teach it, but arguably, I think it's just much more valuable than than um, learning about, uh, you know, the periodic table and uh, <laughs> right. uh, But um, yeah, I just think young the young people that I teach really rely on school to to deliver the information to them. You know, they they take it seriously. They're hardworking students who are learning their times tables, who are learning their you know, geography and so on. And if we can deliver this information to them in the same structure as we deliver all those other subjects, then they will, they will learn and they will take it seriously um, because we're assuming that all of that will be done at home. And of course, we know that it's, that in most cases, it's not done at home. Um, no, because I do think that a lot of parents assume that it's the school's responsibility to talk about things like that, like, you know. Yes, absolutely. Well, when I do parent talks, I make sure that I tell them how much time 
is being spent on relationship and sex education. And then we, I asked them the question, is this enough? Um, and what I try and, and sort of enlighten them with is that in their home, in their households are so many amazing natural triggers for conversations, you know, just by simply leaving a, a tampon around, you know, my, my daughter's fascinated by all these different cups and tampons and, you know, and I think these are just such wonderful opportunities to start the conversation. And many parents think it's this big talk one night around the kitchen table where you, <laughs> you, you know, you break, you, it suddenly dawns on them that you need to tell them how babies are made when actually it's, it's conversations that are ongoing um, and that are arising all the time, you know, especially on television and books um, and just, yeah, in, in, in things that we have at home as, as families. Yeah. So we just need to be mindful, I think, of, you know, veering the conversation. But it's hard. I think it's hard for parents because obviously we have our own feelings attached to puberty, sex, relationships. And so we're anxious and we don't want to, um, you know, we don't want to scare our children. And so we, we think that protecting them is actually not telling them anything. Right. And from a sex educator's point of view, we talk about preparing without scaring. Um, and that refers to a lot of aspects of, you know, for the first time they get a mobile phone, also making them aware of the potential risks around that. So just trying to have these conversations without alarming them. Uh, yeah, I think, I think talk is so important. Like, you know, talking about everything. I just feel, yeah. and I, I think the more you talk about things in a natural way without making yourself a big deal out of it, the more the child feels comfortable. Because I talk with my stepdaughter, who's like now 14. So I was the one talking to her about periods. And we talk about sex, even though my husband's like, why are you talking to her about sex? But I do yeah. feel like it's important for her to yeah. know, like, and, you know, and I do the same with my daughter. I just, because I, I never had that chance with my mother. Like she never spoke about sex and periods never, like I never saw her having her period, you know? Yeah. But I wonder though, sometimes if I'm pushing it too hard with my own daughter by like, she knows so much about periods. So she goes, are you, do you have your period today, mama? Like, she's like no. <laughs> that is brilliant. No, I think it's, it's so important. And, and ultimately, they're curious and if if we can't satisfy their curiosity then you know that we know they're going to find the answers elsewhere which for many young people you know they'll they've been self-educating through through the online world and and god we know where that takes them um or they've been educating through their peers and i think when children are young there's so much of this information that is factual, you know, just like I was saying about, you know, the blood coming through the vagina and the urine coming through the urethra. I mean, that's a fact. It's not a complicated discussion. And so I think if we can use those really, you know, simple conversations at the beginning to, to, to say it how it is, so that then we're sort of laying this foundation for when things get a bit complicated later on, you know, we, I was saying to, to a parent the other day, we don't want to have a conversation with our children about what sexual abuse is in the same conversation as what is sex. You know, <laughs> we need to say, 
what sex is in a healthy framework, you know, what is consensual, pleasurable sex, you know, and also that it's for baby making, um, so that children know what something, what, what healthy sex is, and then it gets really complicated. And yes, those conversations will be difficult, um, but but the, the first, you know, the foundations all need to be presented in a in a really sort of clear way. Right. But it's, it's hard work. It's hard. No, and that's uh, why I think a book like yours is so important because it also can, like, you know, having a book like that uh, on the coffee table, picking it up, talking about it, reading yeah. about it together can also help break the ice, you know? Absolutely. I think... You know, we were away this summer and my when I got the book delivered um, on my doorstep, I got some copies delivered. I, I sent it out immediately to all my nieces, um, you know, to pretty much everyone who either had their period or, or was going to get their period. And one of my nieces is 12 and we went on holiday together and she got the book just before leaving. So she brought it with her and... I bumped into her in the middle of the sort of huge canteen on this in this holiday resort and she blurted out in the middle of the canteen do you know auntie saskia i got my period and she was over the moon telling you know telling me because she you know she she didn't feel there wasn't this embarrassment or shyness or awkwardness she was so proud to tell me <laughs> in the middle of this dining hall um and you know she was 12 which is which is you know pretty much in the middle of where children are getting their periods now any, anywhere between sort of 9 and 15 um but i was so touched that a she she felt so happy telling me but b that i'd managed to get the book to her in time <laughs> so she was ready she had all the information <laughs> ready and then of course we then start talking about the sustainable period and how to, you know, what products to use. And, you know, so there's a, there's a big part of the book, which is about sustainability and, and you know, products, because it, that, that is something that, that is very much of, of today, you know, is, is the impact, which we don't yet know fully, but the impact of the products that we have been using for years. Um, so I think young people who are very environmentally friendly and very aware of the planet and, very incentivized have have a you know a real curiosity when it comes to you know a more um you know a less wasteful period products basically right, right. I've, i you know i've been sending like the girls in my family whenever they get their period like either the panties that are reusable or the yes. pads that are reusable and they're very colorful and fresh and friendly. And I just feel yeah. it changes the whole experience. Cause I also have a problem with that concept of plastic and like yes. putting plastic inside you. And also the role that these organizations are playing with our relationship with their period, right? Like feeding Absolutely. on the taboo uh, yeah. to sell products. So it's just, I don't know. It really upsets yeah. me. I think, you know, we, we've had this tone set now where we, you know, there's a, there's a, you, you just have to look at the names of some of these brands. It's like, you know, discretion or, you know, secret, <laughs> not to be discussed. You have to hide your pan, your tampon in your sleeve. And, um, and I think now there's, 
young people are fascinated, like you say, when they look at these beautiful reusable pads and they look at these cups and, okay, the cup might be a lot to take in and, you know, they, they don't necessarily feel ready to, to, to use an internal product. But now um, in schools, when I, when I work with young people, the reusable pads is, is the one, or the pants, um, is, is the product that I try and encourage them to use as much as possible but they need to be taken through the whole process from how to apply it onto the pants through to removal, clean, how to clean it, how to store it, how to wash it properly, how to dry it. They need to know all parts of that process because otherwise it's too complicated and they just want something they can throw in the bin, you know? So I think, we we and I think sometimes we forget. You know, we give them this amazing product, but we haven't discussed all aspects of it. Right. In schools, we actually put <laughs> tomato juice on the pads. I'm glad it's tomato juice, not together. blue liquid. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Right. The blue liquid infuriating. Yes, infuriating. Um, but that's what I mean. It's, it's, uh, and, and you know, the boys need to be part of this conversation too. And so many schools are saying, oh, well, we'll put the boys in PE and you can do this with the girls. And I always say, no, actually, you know what? The boys will really love this lesson. <laughs> and they do, you know, dipping tampons in tomato juice and talking about how much absorbency. And there's a lot of science in there as well. Right. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, that the sustainable angle is starting to creep in more and more now. Um, and, you know, the idea is that we, that we hold these big brands accountable a little bit more for disclosing, you know, what they're making these pads from. Um, you know, there needs to be more studies on the impact that they have on our vulvas and vaginas. You know, highly absorbent area is absorbing plastics um, and all kinds of other bleaches and scents and, and things that need to lead us to believe that our vaginas need to smell like roses. Uh, <laughs> you know, the whole education around, uh, you know, do we need to wash down there? All that is, is really part of this conversation. And I've, I've wanted to be quite clear in the book about that. Um, I hope, I hope and, you get the book translated in different languages. Is that like yeah, something? being translated into French, actually, at the moment, Leah. Yes. Uh, great. Happening. Um, I actually posted yesterday on Instagram one of our artists who did a, an image on period euphemisms, um, which obviously didn't work in French, um, you know, and, and that, so I had to get a bit of a do a bit of a survey on, on what uh, euphemisms exist in French. And there were some, some really funny ones. Les Anglais sont arrivés. Oui, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because I'd never heard that one. Um, but she did a fantastic one, a girl called Cat Cass. Okay. On, it's a vaginalement hors service. And she did a, a VHS record, um, videotape. With, with all the, the, you know, the videotape coming out, which is just looks just like blood. And anyway, she's, she's done a fantastic job. So the French version is actually going to be quite fresh in terms of it. We'll have some new artwork, which is quite interesting. So hopefully that will be out by Christmas. All right, great. Uh, I, I have a, 
we 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 yeah we're quite French speaking in our family, and so I, I'm um I, I was super keen to have it translated into French. So for now, it's French. I I I'm not sure about you know anything else at the moment. But I think um, it should be in different language because even like in this part of the world, like in the Middle East, I think they would really benefit from some a book like that. You know, I don't know it at all what the local schools teach in regards to sex education here, but I'm pretty yeah. sure they don't. <laughs> like, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a uh, the, the the advantage of having artists involved in this is that they've been all come from all over the world, and so when they have received you know i sent them all their copies when it came out and they have been doing you know promotion wherever they are in the world which i i didn't think of at the time um so it's you know it's it's gone to australia it's gone to israel it's gone to america it's gone to lots of european countries and um and the the feedback has been you know overwhelmingly positive and yeah, there's a there's a need to to try and get this into schools as much as possible. So at the moment, I'm working on doing some schools pack, packs, basically, which include reusable items, the book, um, you know, lots of other leaflets and, and tools so that schools actually can go into a period lesson with a demonstration kit. And right. I think that it needs to be a practical lesson as well, because yes, there's the science of the menstrual cycle, but it's also about management. How can we manage it this time every month, you know, and feel okay about it? Um, it's, a, it's a huge part of, it's a huge part of it, I think. Right. How long did it take you to write the book altogether? Um, like with the research? I think two years, two years, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But um, I really enjoyed writing it. Um, I really enjoyed writing it. I, I, I knew exactly, you know, how I wanted to, to design it. I, I knew the tone. I wanted the tone to be quite specific, you know, really trying again to, to say, yes, you know, there is this stigma there is a, a at the moment a negative narrative. Um, this is the reason why, um, but actually, this is what your period is. Um, it's it's actually a gift. <laughs> it's actually a gift, right. um, and I think that this generation now can see it in that way. Um, and you know, I, when I go into schools and I talk to to young people about how women used to be completely in sync with the moon and they used to all be in sync with each other and they used to bleed together under the new moon. Um, I, I see the boys in the classroom sort of looking at their girls, their, girl, their friends who are girls, looking at them almost as if they have this sort of new superpower. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God, this... And, and if they can see it as a time to sort of renew and refresh and, and reflect and um, as a completely untapped resource, um, then I think, I think there's a chance for them to be able to really see it as, as something more, much more positive, essentially. Right. Definitely. Definitely. But thank you. Merci beaucoup for this call, for this interview. Yeah. It's been so lovely to yes, see you. Yes, likewise, likewise. Yeah. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Allez, bonne journée. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe, and participate in my first period project or the pad art. All information are on the site i-bleed.com.